welcome, welcome, welcome back to the working that is Chrono.Chronicles. Chronicles. My name is Bill, and I am the host for this particular Sonic adventure. This is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. Uh, unfortunately, Derek is not with us here tonight, so we're not live, but this will be released on Tuesday evening as a normal podcast episode for download later. But nonetheless, I still have two of the other Chrononauts here with me. But before we hear from them, let's slow down a little bit and take a look at what the old Farmer's Almanac has in store for us this coming week. On Wednesday, Jupiter and the Moon are conjunct. And that is also Flag Day, by the way. Thursday has Moon and Uranus conjunct. Friday is Moon and Mercury conjunct. And Sunday is fun. Sunday's got a lot going on. There's a new moon. It is also Father's Day. And speaking of Father, uh, Saturn is stationary that day. So Father Time is standing still on Sunday, so to speak. I think that was that's pretty cool. And following that little short review of the energies ahead in the week, kind of something to look out for because these are our uh, entities, energies that, that have an effect on us, so it's just good to be aware of them. And speaking of awareness, the next uh, segment that we move into is the gratitude segment. This is kind of a holdover from the 13 Questions podcast, which Adam and I did for a number of years. But uh, this is more of like a, an exercise, just a short exercise in getting the heart and the brain working together, getting that coherence built up and then we will delve into uh, new business and then the third segment is meant to be a little bit more inspirational so i will go first for for this gratitude segment i was thinking of family and specifically extended family like all family is good right but uh married into families i went to a wedding recently i think i mentioned that at the end of the last podcast and there was it, I mean, it was a great time, perfect. Everything went according to plan. The weather was great. And the little synchronicities popped up along the way, which was fun. Uh, turns out the bride's father is a, was a, a show magician. And he founded this company that was relatively well-known-ish in the magic world, right? And uh, the bride actually did the illustrations for this series of books when when she was younger so i won't say too much more about the details but i just thought it was cool because you know we talk about magic here in a different way but there was also two magic shops in this little tiny town that the, the wedding was in so besides that uh, that that in itself <laughs> is very odd uh <laughs> music stores are so far and few between that those that are really into it will like flock to them when visiting parts of the country like in my entire area, there's only one, and I live in the Palm Beaches. Wow, yeah, just one. That's bigger, way bigger population than where we were at. It was just a little bit south of Indy, so I guess it oh, is. Oh yeah, me, me and Justin, um, when we were um, going out to an event in Washington, we made a uh, uh, a detour of like an hour or so to go uh, just to a to a magic shop store. Did you buy anything? Ah, oh, Justin did. Cards? Of course. Are you kidding me? He is the card king. And I'm, I'm a, a junior king because of him. 
Yeah, so the uh, the one magic shop was more geared towards the children, right? But the other one was real interesting in that the the purveyor was more concerned about the effects that you could use in in not everyday life, but well, yeah, everyday life. Uh, he had like, for instance, this wallet that would shoot out flames that businessmen could use, right, to hand when they hand out their business card and like talk about a way to leave an impression. So, and he showed us how it worked too. Like, there's a trick, you know. There's always a mechanism, or you know, a uh, a prop that has a, a a hidden whatever that makes it the magic, right? And uh, but his other thing was tarot decks. See, he was a seller of tarot decks, but he didn't have any at the moment, which was interesting. But uh, yeah, that's that's beside the point. Uh, the gratitude was just uh, yeah, family, extended family in particular, marrying into. You know, a group of people that you never knew before and everybody's getting along and it's, it's you know it was a perfect good good wedding so that, that that's kind of what i've been uh thinking about since since our last recording because i think about things to talk about on the show and it's been on my mind <laughs> anyway uh ben is in colorado now I believe. Do you, uh, Ben or Adam, uh, yeah, anybody else want to share gratitude? I was just going to give everybody an update on where you have uh, transitioned to physically now that you are in a different time zone, but he's still, he's kind of like our correspondent boots on the ground reporter at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. I did, and that ties into my gratitude. I, uh, drove i don't know 1100 miles or so and uh you know when you when you mount up on the big iron beast and drive across the country through the mountains it's always good to arrive safely and no uh, mechanical issues so super grateful for that and yeah it's good to be back in the mountains oh yeah travel always gives you great perspective and i guess that was like the other part of my gratitude that I was thinking of earlier because we had to travel. It was a, a destination wedding, so to speak. And, uh, but we also traveled this past weekend because it's been a few weekends since we recorded our last episode. But I traveled again for a birthday and just the, uh, the perspective it gives you of going places to, to be with people you haven't seen in a while and then coming back to, you know, your old routine at home or whatever that may be. And just the switch, it, it uh, makes you appreciate everything more because it's you, know, you see the differences and i think it's a good thing but yeah travel like that's 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 something that uh if you can do it you should take advantage of it for sure but uh adam did you have any gratitudes for for me today for absolutely i'm i'm just super excited that uh the ufo uap topic is finally making its way into the mainstream uh, for the first time in 90 years and being taken seriously, um, at least by the general public. And although behind the scenes, it's still being handled the same. Um, yeah, I'm super excited with uh, the possibilities uh, for the future. So I'm glad that you mentioned this because Ben recommended a podcast to me the other day and I started listening to it. I didn't get through it all the way, Ben, but they they were talking about the UAP thing, right? And uh, they were complaining that they weren't using the term UFO. 
like the official narrative will say anything but UFO. Do you think that was done on purpose? Yes and no. However, I mean, if you go back to the very, very first reportings of UFOs uh, that the government put into documentation, um, and I'm talking back in like the, the 40s, you know, 30s, 40s, um, it's they originally called them UAP before the term UFO uh, was coined um, among the general public. So um, that is how it was originally identified. Then once they created the UAP task force, they did, you know, um, it was un, what was it, unidentified aerial uh, phenomenon. And then uh, they rebranded it to unidentified anomalous phenomenon to include, um, you know, different mediums like water, space, or interstellar space. Uh, but essentially, I don't think it's a big deal um, I think it is from the connotation point, but if you go back to like what it was originally called, yeah, they were considered unidentified aerial phenomenon um, at the beginning. So to me, it's really just going back to the roots and regardless of what you call it, um, it's still the same thing. And uh, with all the stuff that's coming out with, you know, Grolsch, um, you know, David Grolsch coming out um, as a whistleblower and actually uh, going before the inspector general for the intelligence committee and uh, giving testimony and then having witnesses come forward and testify uh, that we, he is telling the truth and them having come out and said that they find what he has said is being both credible, um, what was it, it was credible um, and something else. Um, oh, and, uh, and urgent. So at very least we have somebody who believes and is putting themselves in oath and coming out and saying, things that if they're not true, he is uh, liable to go to prison. He could be brought up on charges. Um, so under oath, he has said that there is a large scale uh, crash retrieval program that is being held from the American public with a giant psyop, that there have been uh, murders that have taken place to keep it a secret. There's been suppression of the technology um, and that we have tactics for taking down craft, that there are at least 12 that we have um, in our uh, in our coffers that we have been able to swoop up. The first one being uh, from Magenta, Italy in 1933 uh, from Mussolini after they were uh, able to get a hold of it. The U.S. went in uh, and stole it uh, several years later, I believe. Uh, but there's just a whole bunch of stuff that's coming forward that is pretty much just you know, it's the old stories. It's everything that everybody in the lore of UFOs, um, you know, is kind of believed. And so I'm of the camp that uh, it's been the, the, the worst kept secret in history. And we're finally starting to see it come to the forefront. You know, um, you know, the Bob Lazars, the, the Ben Riches, uh, the Gary McKenna's, the, uh, the David Grolsch, finally, David Grolsch is the guy that gets the, uh, you know, uh, starts hitting the mainstream. So yeah, sorry to rant on that, but yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited about all that. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a core, uh, uh, fascination, belief and study of mine, uh, my entire life. And I've never understood why other people are incapable of taking it seriously. Uh, so yeah, it's just beautiful to see that kind of come into the surface and hopefully, um, I don't know, people start accepting the reality that there's there's bigger fish to fry out there than what's on social media. Yeah, like it, that is super, I mean, rant away, right? Like this is kind of, it is 
really a once in a lifetime event to, to witness this kind of enter into more of the public space. But in a way, it is old news for the rest of us who've been in the uh, quote unquote alien camp for, for a while. And well, and it shouldn't even be about people being upset necessarily about mm -hmm. aliens, just being upset about the fact that. Look, just let, let's say you discover a piece of unknown technology and you realize that they're using silicon in it. Okay, you don't need to understand what silicon is used for just to start doing research and quickly find out that, hey, this stuff can replace vacuum tubes and we can start going to transistors and you've got a whole new technology that could come out of it. Now, if you've got some sort of advanced technology from somewhere else that is so far in advance, we don't even understand how it is functioning. And you've got in that in your coffers. How many te technologies or things could you develop or come out of this um, that could possibly be impacting us? And then when you have the military holding it um, with nobody being allowed to see it, the general science not being allowed to see it, making advances in science, and then keeping private contractors, private corporations that then can take, learn things, and develop things, put them into the real world that can then get sold back to the government. and yeah, I think people should just be really pissed off about the fact that you've got a military industrial complex that is uh, not focused on humanity or anything like that or, or, or what could advance human beings. They're, they're worried about keeping an asymmetric control. Um, and yeah, I don't know. No, I agree. people should be pissed off about it, and people should be like, "Let's just get to the bottom of this." They're they're gonna they're gonna refuse to get as much out as possible, but. I mean, the information's out there, it's classified, and everybody's playing nice and not releasing it. But, um, you know, if the rumors are true on, on the evidence that's being put forward, then goddamn, like, it's possible we could at least start, as a society, seeing enough proof that we can, uh, that we can, I don't know, start believing. Or it'll just be like the last 90 years and it just gets shoveled under and, uh, right. you know, we have hearings again in the next 20 or 30 years and the cycle continues. Right. There's a chance for it to break out. Yeah, because so this happened in the, the 50s and 60s. It happened in the 70s. It happened in the 90s. It happened now. Uh, you know, they open up, they do an investigation and, you know, determine, yep, nothing to see here. Keep going on. Right. And I agree that it the censorship aspect should be upsetting to, to people. That's something that grinds my gears. I've talked about before, and absolutely, if there's technology that could be used to reverse climate change, for instance, or whatever, right? Like, uh, not or for whatever, like that, that, that is a thing that I've heard about it is, is possible. It's a technology that Tesla actually, uh, I don't know, invented, uh, pioneered, and, uh, yeah, so these things that are being held back that can be used for the greater good should absolutely... Well, not even that. I mean, if it's something that you cannot understand, it's very hard and compartmentalized with very few, you know, groups of scientists who are not, you know, open academic scientists that can share their information. They can't talk to each other. They can only come in for a certain amount of times. Everybody's under classified clearances. You're never going to figure it out. And David Grolsch gave a very good point. He's like, you know, I, I feel that you know, A, I was put in charge of the UAP task force. I had this clearance that allowed me to go and see these things where I could be read into them. And they flat out refused me access to these programs. Um, you know, therefore, you know, hey, what really are you hiding? And when you look at like John Greenwald, one of the most interesting things 
about him is of any topic that he has fought for, you know, he's over three and a half million documents uh, that he's been able to obtain from the Freedom of Information Act on all topics. He says the one that they fight the hardest on, lose the information on, you know, do not play ball with is the UFO UAP topic. And yeah, I don't know. We've all known about it since, you know, Independence Day came out. So it, it's kind of the biggest open secret in the world. Yeah. And these, these whistleblowers that are coming forward, it is game changing. And I mean, you're familiar with Stephen Greer and his undisclosed special access project documentary like he's got two films out but you've seen those haven't you yeah i'm i'm not so hot on steven greer myself but you know that's just personally um i do think that he's definitely i mean when he started off he was one of the early pioneers and you know you certainly cannot fault him for all the work that he did with the first ufo congress um and some of the early work he's done i just you know don't buy into a lot of uh the space brother stuff he does but again that's just personally me so um, but yeah, there's, um, I forgot where I was going with that. No, well, even, you know, that aside, like just, just the, uh, the amount of testimonies that he's compiled from people who have been, you know, ex-military or defense, a defense agency, or, you know, three little three letter agency people that are, you know, going on record and videotape. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, just look at like, you know, stuff. there's a great documentary out there called Mirage Men which shows how the government used, you know, uh, they, they purposefully targeted somebody, made them think that they were in communication with UFO, uh, with, with aliens to try to cover up a secret program. And instead of breeding this physicist in on it, you know, they did this entire huge psyop on him and he ended up killing himself. Uh, so there is documented evidence of, you know, the uh, U.S. government doing psychological campaigns, you know, within the UFO field to people. So, yeah, but again, you know, there's such a stigma on it. Nobody wants to talk about it, you know, up until very recently. And even still, I saw some news stories where before they play the story, they're playing the X-Files theme, you know, the giggly, you know, bringing the giggles, bringing the talk about little green men instead of treating this as a serious subject that, hey, look at major religions, look at the Dogon, look at the Hopi Indians, look at all these people who talk about the Star Brothers, the people from the sky, the ancient religions, the texts the constant reports that we've had through history, the representation in art and in paintings and in military. And like at some point, you know, you have to realize that, yeah, there's uh, the giggle factor has been used against us. The stigmatization has been done to such a great extent that people just haven't looked past the truth. Let me tell you, the world gets a lot more interesting to live in once you try to begin accounting for the this, this more of a galactic viewpoint. let me blow right. okay let me let me let me the the, the mind-blowing aspect um because i've been diving deep in this you know I'm, I'm unemployed at the the moment so i have a free bit of time during some times of the day and i've been going down the ufo rabbit hole especially in david grolsch you know assuming and this is the thing you know you can't was he told the truth was he read into the truth is this just another psyop of some kind right so there there's always two angles to it but one of the things that he put in one of his letters that they got, which was him writing internal emails, was um, that there were that there were agreements made that would be not in the benefit of humanity. And when he was pressed on it, like you're so you're saying that there was agreements made with other entities or beings 
with the U.S. government that may not be in the best interest of the people of Earth. And, you know, as soon as you start hearing stuff like that, like this is the ultimate like, oh, my gosh, it's every single thing that we've, you know, thought could be on the crazy train. But again, you know, the government spying on every single thing you do and sucking up everything into a giant facility in the middle of Nevada was a, a conspiracy theory until one day it wasn't. Would would things really look any different if there wasn't agree, an agreement like that in place? Like, just statistically speaking. Like but who knows? Uh, What's the agreement? Well, you know, and then, that, and then add in other levels here, too, that are really concerning. The fact that, you know, it's not just the United States. There's China. There's Russia. There's England. There's other countries. And, you know, with the amount of um, work that China has done on infiltrating us on a... Um, on a scale uh, from like an espionage scale and the information that they've gotten out, like it would not be surprising to me at all if they had gained advances, stolen information from us on this. And in fact, I mean, if you want to go down the connecting the dots, Bob Lazar talked about um, how when he was there, there was a portion of time in which they were working with Russians, that there was like m Russian personnel there. And at some point in time, that stopped. Well, we had an agreement put in place under Reagan in which it was a nuclear arms agreement with Russia. But one of the things that was also listed under there was that we would agree to identify each other if we had any unknown flying objects or unidentified objects. So we already have these things that could have been hints at cross-working. And then if you start to think like, what are the capabilities of unlocking this technology? You know, if it's in the Bob Lazar's uh, realm of saying like, it's an, it can be an impenetrable force field. It can be the source of an unlimited source of energy or a source of energy that's just you know beyond our, our calculation. It can be used to take you uh, like distances to basically anywhere you want to go in the universe. It could possibly have time dilation effects. Like once you start going down these realms, you have infinite kinetic force, infinite travel, uh, impenetrable force fields, energy weapons possibly that are just unstoppable. Um, so if you could take those out to the extremes, like, oh, my God, like, what are the advances? What kind of thing could happen if we're not advancing on this as a civilization, if all of a sudden China, Russia, an adversary of ours, uh, private industry, all of a sudden makes a huge leap in understanding this technology? What does that mean? You know, what does it even mean to us that, you know, we're able to get this? Like, if we're acquiring these, we've got more than a dozen. Some of them, according to Grolsch, you know, at least one, we're talking football field lengths or football field size he's talking about. Like, are we the aggressors? Like, what's going on? You know, uh, could this, you know, could we, they really be the archons? And, you know, we are, we're just, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're part of the, con you know, being contained. I don't, we're not the aggressors. There's no way that we could be the aggressors. We're on the farm. Like, we're, unless you're privy to, like, Black world projects. Yeah, yeah. right. But sometimes, sometimes the horse, you know, kicks the rancher and breaks his back. We get the lowest form of technology that everybody else already has access to. Like, there's no way that we could be the aggressors in this situation. I think this, the, the techno, the uh, leaks like this or the releases or the. Well, what I'm saying is, let's say we have a lot of these craft and they're from being shot out of the sky or captured. How are we capturing them? You know what I mean? Like, do we have techniques for getting these? Why do we have them? Like, is it possible that now that we've got some really cool toys, we're like, yep, we're going to go take that. You know, I mean, imagine if you're in like, just say like, uh, 
you know, 1920s, 1930s, whenever like the Model T was made, right? That's your car. And then all of a sudden, you know, somehow you find a parking lot in, you know, uh, 2033 and there's a Corvette sitting there. You're going to go out and steal it? You know what I mean? Like if you're the U.S. government, hell yeah, you're going to, you know? So that's what I mean. Is it like, are you going to be the aggressors of some kind, you know, or I, I, again, who knows? It's, it's such an ancient story, um, you know, going back to at least the past 90 years. Uh, you know, even when I think about biblical times, when I think about like the type of like uh, Ark of the Covenant or the types of uh, artifacts that would be saved. I mean, if we've been having this type of technological contact, like, you know, an artifact that uh, in today's eyes would be uh, indistinguishable from magic and, you know, just technologically ununderstandable, like how much more important would that be to ancient people? So, um yeah, so I always find like the the Indiana Jones, you know, ancient discovery thing to actually be really interesting that, you know, like Mussolini finding something in a an archaeological site that this might have been a big thing. That might have been why all the major governments during a portion of time, you know, were going and scouring the world, why the Nazis were scouring the world. And, you know, maybe they did find some things, you know, maybe there was some hidden ancient tech that, you know, until the modern day of electronics, we even if we had in our hands, wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Did you hear about the recent Las Vegas UFO? Dude. <laughs> yeah, I did. And it excites me because it makes me think of like Lonnie Zamora, um, just all these other cases that have happened. Um, and and I, I, I wonder, and again, I don't know, because I'm not deep into like the people that are actually getting the reports or in the field all the time. You know, I'm a, you know, just a, uh, a chair surfer here. Um, but I do wonder because you've had waves in the past when there were lots of reported abductions, there were lots of reported beings in craft on the ground. Uh, in the UFO Las Vegas is exactly that. If anybody hasn't seen, uh, it's starts off with a video of some police officers, you know, their body cam footage and some ring bill dealt, uh, door footage showing a light streaking down through the sky, the sound of an impact on the ground. And shortly after, a family going out and recording and then calling 911 saying that they see eight to 10 foot tall, two beings in their backyard um, that are very blurry and that an object that looks blurry to them, but it's not their eyes. It's the, the object itself. Um, and there was some impressions left in the ground. So yeah, it could be an elaborate hoax perpetrated right afterwards. I've seen some pretty interesting stuff showing some shadows behind fences and stuff. Again, nothing proof. It's how it always is, but yeah, I'm super excited about it. And again, what I was going to say is that I wonder, especially with all the stuff coming out and coming forward and the way that it's coming forward. And if you look at like the stuff with Jeremy Corbell and how he had things that the Pentagon admitted to immediately. Um, is it possible that we're on the wave of another uh, influx of sightings, another influx of events for whatever reason? And the U.S. government is not going to give up all their cards, but they need to get ahead of it. Because they know that there's going to be a sighting. They know that there's going to be a time when this starts to come out. Um, and yeah, that's the first thing I thought of when, uh, you know, that case happened. Only because to do a hoax on that and to do what they were doing with so many people and to do it so shortly afterwards, it would be, you know, it's not something that was planned out more than, you know, a few minutes in advance. So yeah, I'm fascinated by it. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened you know, um, a lot and all the time.
It is fascinating. It certainly makes for good uh, infotainment, if anything else. But I'll be really impressed when we see some kind of technology transfer that hits the quote-unquote public market and where everybody's able to have access to whatever that may be. But uh... Yeah, but imagine what any of it could be, like the big things. Let's say if it's even simple, like a new unlimited zero-point energy source or something, right? Well, now you're talking about destabilizing governments, currencies, you know, uh, these entrenched industries like fuel, coal, um, you know, all the future industries that everybody's made, you know, deals on all the military contracts, how much you can continually to sell these things. The, if you had some of those golden technologies, you know, in a power based, you know, dominant system, why are you going to release it? You know, and then if you do, all right, what power does that give your adversary? What if all of a sudden somebody, instead of being able to, you know, go and spend $50 on a microwave that can give somebody cancer in the hotel room next to them without them knowing an amazing feat of technology and the horrors that it is, they could all of a sudden do it to, you know, uh, you know, uh, everybody in the state of Florida. Yeah. I mean, the imagination is endless. Like it could be any number of possibilities. Yeah. Or it could be very as simple as these things are so advanced that they really haven't been able to crack the core things to be able to do what's been done, that it's scratching the surface. You know, the example I gave before, obviously, I don't know if this is true, but it is. it was a great thought experiment that I heard. Just the idea that, yeah, you don't need an alien to have built a computer chip to show you how to build a computer chip. All you have to know is that they're using silicon, start to study it and realize, hey, this works really good for computer chips. And the next thing you go, you got a new technology. It could be, you know, completely arcane compared to the other one, but it's still a huge advance and uh yeah that that could be where we're at it could just be something where they really haven't cracked the big nuts yet ben were you going to say something i thought you unmuted <laughs> well i'm i don't know i'm looking at some of this stuff as you know like it like it has been in the past as a catalyst to issuing in a new era of technology so um i don't <laughs> you know how um i don't know we obviously can't argue the existence of um life and other entities you know entering into our reality now so looking at it through a lens of um progress still you know moving forward with it uh i can see a lot of good coming from a lot of it too well already just the mentality change in people is huge you know that you know it, it's striking to me the amount of people that are willing to not talk think or engage their mind in it when there is such a preponderance of evidence that has been obtained you know uh over the centuries uh but that is finally starting to wear away uh within the mainstream public and once that's gone that really is an opening up point um, and, you know, even if it's going towards in the future, because all these programs and secrets are held and run by normal people that get into the programs. And as those minds change and, you know, it's like anything else, you know, government is filled with some corrupt individuals, but it's also filled with a lot of good people that want to do the right thing. So, yeah, just that mentality and shift and change within the system, I think, is why we're getting whistleblowers and this information starting to come out that, you know, there's people that uh, realize it's kind of silly to keep this. Uh, covered up. And, and this is actually something I was going to mention before. Dave Grolsch gave this as a great example of like 
hey, you can have classified technology and still share it with the scientific community, meaning, um, you know, we have nuclear missiles and we don't give out the designs and the specs and how we build them, you know, and, and you know, how they function and work and fly. That's completely top secret information. But the information on how nuclear explosions and nuclear physics works isn't. That's completely open up to the science to, science to study um, and to be aware of. And so you could be able to, you know, take an incredibly closed system of this highly classified, you know, program. And instead of, you know, releasing, um, you know, all the technical details, you could maybe start by releasing the advances in science that you're discovering and the things that then could be used to, you know, start to better society. Um, even if there are valid, I don't know what they would be, but, you know, maybe there are some good valid, you know, reasons for, you know, uh, keeping a security risk. You know, maybe there is some malevolence or something going on the scene, behind the scenes that would only make sense if we were aware. Well, and I think it's just part of the system, you know, overall system that's breaking down at this point. And, you know, it's just the cycle coming yeah. back around, you know, uh, a lot of things have to fall down before you can build up new stuff. So, yeah. And to know. me, this would be the ultimate one. I mean, it's a big assumption, but let's just assume that the U.S. government did have a large-scale retrieval program going back to at, uh, at least 90 years, that they've done a PSYOP on the American people to convince them that this is not a truth, hid the technology, developed technologies on it, and profited on it, um, and you know, committed murders and other crimes to cover up their secret. If the American people found that out to be a definitive truth, you're never going to trust the government on anything ever again. Like there would be no coming yeah. back from that. And, you know, the fact that it opens you up to, you know, like fuck countries, what's out there? Like now we're in it together as a species. Yeah. Uh, you know, you start having those kinds of thoughts and I just, I don't think governments want that. That's what Reagan was, I think, kind of alluding to when he gave that famous speech. Yep. But, uh, you know, you know the one. I, ju I just watched that yesterday. Well, and maybe that's all part Again, of the yesterday, plan. I should say, because yeah. I was thinking about it. <laughs> maybe that's all part of the plan, too. Yeah, right? listen, I mean, it could be all Project Bluebeam. <laughs> well, you're talking to a dude who's seen a massive craft up close and personal, and then, you know, since then have channeled into that galactic stuff. So I'm, you know, have looked at a lot of it with a with a very skeptical eye, but um from what you know myself and other people um in that community talk about the messaging coming through it's all coming to come into play so um i don't know i the movie's getting good fellas i mean it's time to pop some popcorn and i mean maybe get a helmet but you know i'm enjoying it anyway yeah, this is super interesting topic. Just uh, if we take just to take a step step back and look at it for the uh, appreciate it for the awareness and the imagination aspects. Like it's certainly something that expands our awareness. Which is just to tie it back into, and we're not doing this in the third segment this this time. But I think it is important to keep the four agreements in mind. And uh, one of the masteries that uh, Miguel talks about is the mastery of awareness. So this is something that can. Mm -hmm obviously expand your awareness and uh you know forces you to use your imagination right so 
yeah, listen, we all know the placebo effect works. Random number generators work, so you can affect the world around you in weird ways through emotions. Uh, you know, the belief in what is possible is why we have computers and technology. Somebody believed, imagined, and thought it up. So, yeah, um, you know, there's those that, um, you know, are interested in the paranormal, seeing a lot of the trickster aspects. You know, even if you look at just like sightings in the past, like, you know, ghost rockets and ghost ships and, you know, um, you know, UFOs and certain technologies showing up that are out of our reach. You know, there could also be some some aspect to this that is trying to pull us in to trying to draw us forward into believing more things to making, you know, more things possible and pulling them into reality. So, yeah, um, it's it's just as exciting on the level of thinking that. Yeah, people changing their thoughts and perceptions, you know, may start to, uh, you know, push reality in a, a new direction. And on the along the same lines as that Reagan speech, there is a quote from, I believe, an Argentinian military official after the Falkland Wars incident that uh, is basically the same, not, not to the T what Reagan is saying, but it's, it has the same message to it, basically, which is like there is other things out there. And uh, I will maybe research that and we can come back to that on the next episode because that is kind of a just an interesting tidbit of history this this war between the uk and argentina about you know over a group of islands that's it's just kind of odd well, there's been a lot of sightings over uh battlegrounds throughout history you know um and i think there is uh an energetic draw and sort of um a need for interruption so to speak mm -hmm. Well, and there's so many things, you know, uh, going back to a few shows ago, you know, when I asked, you know, like chat GPT, like, hey, you know, would you go back into the future, the, the past and try to change it, you know, as an AI type thing? And you start to think that, yeah, well, maybe historic events are important. Maybe it's going back and recording it. Maybe there is some, you know, technological aspect where, you know, um, certain things and events are important. Um yeah, it's 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 endlessly fascinating to me about. Well, gosh darn it! I mean, now that people are aware of it, we all can start uh, paying attention. Maybe we'll get this thing figured out in somebody's lifetime. <laughs> yeah, it would be exciting to see in ours, anyway. But yeah, that was a good uh, a good first gratitude segment. We got... oh yeah. Go there ahead. you go, and the show's over. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> there's more. Uh, we have new business next, actually, and uh, I thought to uh, to kind of rehash what the the point behind this exercise is. Is this segment is to uh, keep from being a dull person, really, and because this is a spell working, I know that this works for you know this is kind of my thing because it's going to affect me first or the most, right? So uh, I just try to learn something can be anything new, um, you know, continuous education. We should never stop learning. It's a good thing to do in my opinion. But uh, I also, so in addition to that, I also wanted to to kind of incorporate some news, news stories in here, not, not uh, you know, political or sports or anything like that, but uh, just some hand, I'm going to hand curate these from a, a, in a channel that I follow on Telegram. Speaking of Telegram, we have a channel there now, but I will be um, putting that in the show notes later for, for everybody to link to if they want to follow. But yeah, so I'll be 
filtering stories into that channel from another Telegram channel and from various Telegram channels, right? So um, the first one, well, not we're not going to do stories right now because I did I did learn something new I wanted to share with you guys. But uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the point behind this segment is to uh, either you know learn something or new or like if you like a new event happened, right? That's that's new, right? That count that counts. So if there's an interesting story you want to talk about, like here would be the point to address it. But uh, to, to start out with, I wanted to talk about Listerine. Did you guys know that Listerine? Originally was marketed as a floor cleaner. I knew it was a disinfectant. I did not know specifically for floors. Yeah, so check this out. I will put the link in the Zoom chat, and I'll put it in the show notes later. But this is from the uh, the Smithsonian. Uh, Smithsonian. Um, no, the American History. I think it's. I don't know. The links in the notes, but. Uh, Listerine is now a product of Pfizer. Funny, uh, is a common household item known for its antiseptic properties. While used today primarily as a mouthwash, it has been sold as surgical disinfectant, a cure for dandruff, a floor cleaner, a hair tonic, a deodorant, and as a quote-unquote beneficial remedy for diseases ranging from diphtheria and dysentery to smallpox, smallpox and gonorrhea. Any of you use Listerine by chance? I used to. It was a home remedy for getting rid of like nail fungus. Ah, um, but not which, right? No, and uh, even now uh, that was before I uh, became weary of fluoride. So uh, as that's a, an ingredient in it, I avoid it now. Oh yeah, same here. I used to use it when I was growing up. I mean, it's freaking household. Oh yeah, well the appliance or not appliance, but. Brand name. No, listen, I, I love my thyroid. I grew up in a county where we had high fluoridated water, brushed my teeth, used mouthwash, and we did all the extra swishing at school. Like, I, I have friends that have uh, fluoride stained teeth. They dosed us so much. It was awful. Wow. What is What color is it? Do they, are they uh, fluorescent? Do they... <laughs> that would be awesome. No, it, it kind of almost makes it look like a translucent, translucent, uh, uh, color on the front. It's a little bit gray. It's not like a dead tooth or anything. It just changes um, the appearance. It's less opaque and more transparent. Hmm. Weird. But just some more background on Listerine. It was named for Sir Joseph Lister, founder of the practice of antiseptic medicine. It was formulated in St. Louis, Missouri in 1879 by Dr. Joseph Lawrence and Jordan Wheat Lambert. Lambert's pharmaceutical company later merged with Warner Company, William R. Warner Company, and Lambert's son, Gerald Bernard Bar Barnes Lambert, became Lambert Warner's president in 1923. And so in his five years as his head of the firm, Listerine's profits increased 60 times. The success was largely due to Lambert's Memorable advertising campaigns, most notably the, rein the reinvention of bad breath as the medical condition halitosis and the resultant social fears it inspired. So this completely manufactured, marketed uh, use for this product, put it in your mouth. So in the vein of conscious living, maybe something to look out for 
if you're using Listerine still. But yeah, yeah look, at all, look at all your products. If you see it's got sodium lyryl sulfate, and you're like, I'm sticking that in my mouth. It's like, yep, that's soap. But uh, good on him for sixty times profit in 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 five years. Like uh, talk about uh, marketing, which is funny because I'm I'm uh, my wife and I are watching the Mad Men. We're going through the Mad Men series. I think it was on AMC or TCM. Mm-hmm. AMC. Yeah, it's all about marketing. Madison Avenue. So that was my kind of new new fun factoid to share uh, i do have some other news stories lined up but before we get into that did do you guys have any any new updates about anything that you learned or wanted to share or ben we already covered that your boots on the ground reporting in a different location um i did uh set and create i don't know if this goes against the rules but i don't think it matters but i did set and create a sigil for adam and his his job hunt everybody is aware of that anyway so i just wanted to update on that and uh, other than that did you guys have anything else in mind uh no um my uh my new business is the is the big relocation yeah so getting settled in and getting to work so We'll see where it goes from there. Cool. Well, keep us keep us posted, and I'm sure Adam will inform us if there's any other developments. Yeah, listen, you'll front. be the first to know if uh, the sigil has some action. To be perfectly fair, I haven't uh, done any diving here in the last three days into any of the posts, but uh, that's all changing again tomorrow. So I kind of took the weekend off. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, another just a uh, kind of bookkeeping not bookkeeping housekeeping news uh, we do have like i mentioned before the new telegram channel for Coronet chronicles telegram is a messaging app and uh i don't know it's just becoming more popular in the circles that i'm i'm following and so i've created one pretty much just to curate the news stories but i think anybody can hop in there and interact with with me um, I think Bootsy uses Telegram too, but I'm not too sure. So uh, I'll be there nonetheless. And uh, we do have the YouTube video or YouTube uh, channels, up, YouTube channel up with the videos uh, to date. Minus one Spock hands. That episode got uh, deleted from my PC. Don't know why I did that. But uh, every every episode but that one is available on YouTube as well. And of course we have the Instagram page uh that's all those profiles are linked on the website now as well so super easy to find and i'll put them in the show notes and aside from those few things there are some interesting stories that i thought i would uh, share with you too and get your opinion on the first one put it in the in the chat just now has to do with Robert Kennedy Jr., who recently uh, announced he's running for president, says that he talks to dead people. Who is this? Senator Kennedy. Robert F. 
he said I do meditations every day. Oh, where'd it go? I lost my notes. Wrong. He says I do meditations every day. Kennedy said that's kind of that's kind of the nature of my meditations. I have a lot of conversations with dead people. So he made this quote, and the media fucking blew it all out of proportions. Oh, he talks to dead people. Conversations with dead people. Holy shit. And then in a follow-up text, right, he had to clarify to uh, the free press. He says that Kennedy clarified, they, they are one-way prayers for strength and wisdom. I get no strategic advice from the dead. I thought that was kind of, kind of funny, just because I know that there are ways to communicate with, you know, disincarnated entities, people. Yeah, he wouldn't, wouldn't be the first spiritualist, you know, running for office either so that's interesting but then i like how he, he described prayer as well too then like it's one way the one way conversation is what he called it so interesting to think about for strength and wisdom so praying it's a good thing to do I don't know if uh, you should get in trouble for that, but he says he gets no strategic advice from the dead. I don't know that if I've ever gotten, I mean, strategic, practical. I've, I've certainly just uh, checked in on some people, right? Just out of curiosity and seeing if we're doing okay. But yeah, that was on the from The Guardian. And then there's this, Second story I'll pop in here, which actually, yeah, I wanted to save that one for Derek because it has to do with diving. But I do have another one. Uh, just because we were talking about relics the other day and uh, how, how Catholics have this thing for dead body parts of saints, right? Well, there apparently there is a, uh, a nun in Missouri that has been exhumed and her remains were found to be intact so she's been dead for since 2009 she was 95 years old and they dug up her body and she has not decomposed so this is grounds for a miracle kind of a creepy miracle if you ask me but the uh Let's see here on the continuing on the article it says apostles exhumed her wooden coffin on May 18th in order to relocate her in their chapel when the discovery was made. Many Catholics believe that Lancaster could be a modern day saint due to the lack of decay, which they consider a miracle. According to Catholicism, a body that decays that resists decay after death is considered incorrupt. And according to Catholic news agency, incorruptible saints give witness to the truth of the resurrection of the body and the life that is to come. According to Bishop Johnson, the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, the process to pursue the cause for sainthood has not yet been initiated. The process to investigate sainthood is only allowed to begin five years after a person's death. Therefore, Lancaster has not yet reached the required minimum number of years. So, pretty, pretty technical specifications to get uh, sainted by the Catholic Church. It only happen to dead people. And only if you immaculately get preserved. Yeah. Which, or unless I'm, 
unless I'm sainthood like I found possums in attics that have been completely preserved. I found snakes in yards completely preserved. And by I mean completely preserved, meaning they look alive, but they are rock hard and still in a living condition. But, you know, they were able to dry out, um, you know, without anything else. So it's it's not surprising. I mean, it's kind of like a mummy, right? Yeah. Have, have they been dead for at least five years, though? Because that is one of the requirements. Uh, in the attic, absolutely, possibly. In my yard when I found the snake, probably not. But I can't, I mean, I imagine if I were to take it and have, uh, you know, stuck it in a, a dry plastic bag, it would probably be the same. Like, it was crispy rock hard. I think looked uh, alive to me. It was coiled up, so it wasn't uh it wasn't in an unnatural, like unwindy state. So <laughs> clearly uh passed away in a coiled state in my yard. I think in in sixth grade it was. We for our social studies class, we were we were studying Egypt and the teacher as a class project, we got to mummify a dead cat. Are you kidding me? No. Wow. It was a chicken. I think it was a chicken. I'm going to correct that and say it was a chicken. It's been a while, but not really something I don't think that you'd see that in schools nowadays. (laughs) No, not at all. So, not to uh, pull in too many more news stories, but I'm just going to take a quick look at the the Telegram channel because I had copy and pasted a few and took out X scripts, but I found this story earlier this afternoon and it's just a bunch of images so there's really no way to to share this but it's it says it's from next shark and there's this craze in in chinese go in in china uh, uh, in china that is going around called white people food on social media have you guys heard of this white people food no but i'm interested to hear about it so they're they're making fun of the blandness of the plainness that Americans eat. So they're taking pictures of meals that they're preparing and they're calling it white people food. And it's trending among Chinese workers who are apparently having difficulty managing their time because one of the things that they say about this is that it, it saves them time and meal prep. So, you know, taking meals to, to work or lunch in the way that Americans do. And so there's this picture here of a container of a Tupperware and it's got you know, bread with some kind of meat in the middle of it, but then also is two just two whole tomatoes and then half a cucumber, a little raw cucumber. So stuff uh that's kind of an example. But it says that uh a white people food trend has been circulating on Chinese social media with countless netizens either praising or criticizing the purported lack of complex flavors in traditional Western lunches. The trend originated from Chinese international students who were surprised by their peers' lunches, when, which consisted of cold sandwiches, plain vegetables, crackers, and meat. The meal's simplicity caught the attention of young Chinese workers who are embracing an attitude of doing less due to China's hectic work culture. This attitude can be traced back to the country's laying flat movement a deliberate rejection of the notorious rat race among jaded youth. Benefits of white people food. 
Several Chinese netizens have jumped on the trend to recreate Western meals. Some noticed the benefits of a minimalist approach to making lunches, noting that the food takes less time to prepare. Additionally, vegetable-heavy meals can help one stay awake during the day, as compared to Chinese food, which is traditionally packed with carbs. They have a point there. Like, food comas are a thing. Yeah, is American food really any better? Like, your simple-to-prepare foods are like peanut butter and jelly, macaroni and cheese. Well, if, compared to fresh vegetables, I guess they think that we eat a lot of fresh vegetables for some reason. Yeah, I'd say uh, at least most uh, Chinese restaurants, you know, serve more fresh vegetables than the average American eats in a meal. Well, that's an Americanized Chinese restaurant. That's what we're used to, right? That shark goes on, says, It's so confusing and outrageous to eat. It's so lawless and outrageous. One blogger wrote, adding that white people food is the lunch of suffering. That's right. You want gout? Eat American. It's lunches, lunchables of suffering. However, many other netizens did not find the meals appetizing, noting that they lacked flavor and took away the joy of eating. The point of the white people's meal is to learn what it feels like to be dead. But I've taken two bites, and it was so bad, it made me realize how alive I am, a Weibo user wrote. And then the last image is the sources from the websites, by where they got the story from. So how does that make you feel, other fellow white people? <laughs> Feel... Well, I mean, the standard American diet is pretty poor. It's all processed and in bags and plastic and, you know, I, I ate a sandwich for lunch. Did you make it? No. I bought it at the gas station. Did you make it? Yes. Is it natural? Well, it, it's naturally preserved with nitrates. So I don't know. I, uh, I'm on board. Right. I get I get the whole simplicity thing. Like, there's definitely a a line of stoicism to be pulled out of this, which is kind of why I brought it up because there is a silver lining. I think it's reminded me of a quote from Marcus Aurelius, and I don't know if this is in his meditations or not, but the quote is, "Like seeing roasted meat and other dishes in front of you, and suddenly realizing this is a dead fish, a dead bird, a dead pig." or that this noble vintage is just grape juice and the purple robes are sheep wool dyed with shellfish blood. Perceptions like that, latching onto things and piercing through them so that we see what they really are. That's what we need to do all the time, all through our life when things lay claim to our trust, to lay them bare and see how pointless they are, to strip away the legend that encrusts them. So I'm not calling white people food legendary necessarily, but the the, uh, the point is that what are you really eating when you eat your food? Like you break break it down to you know, macronutrients, the uh, the carbs, the fat, and the protein, right? And you can break it down further from there. Like are there seed oils in there? Like what's what what do what does your body need, and how can you get it in there with the least amount of effort, right? Even if you're just, you know, chugging raw eggs, like, 
Schwarzenegger or something. I don't know. Bodybuilding. <laughs> ben, did you have some? Um, well, obviously, just being trying to be mindful of of the nourishment you're giving, you know, your meat, your meat suit, your body to move through uh, space these days is it's not as easy as it as it used to be, right? And it's funny. I don't, I don't know about blandness necessarily. Um, I I started becoming trying to become more mindful of flavors and just the enjoyment of it, of, of the eating, uh, as I go and breaking it down into that simplistic sort of thing, you know, where you're really enjoying the, the nectarine or really enjoying, um, the cucumber for that matter, right. For what it is and the energy it took to produce it. Um, does make it kind of taste better in a way when you get into that um and it, it's part of a gratitude practice right being grateful for whatever it is in front of you that because it could be nothing right right so yeah definitely taking if you're able to take the time to slow down and just eat like don't like i've been doing this personally like trying not to look at your phone or watch whatever on Amazon or whatever it may be, right? Like uh, just sit there with your food and notice how it tastes and concentrate on that. Right, being present in the moment, yeah. And and in the preparation of it as well, you know, and you can infuse um, or merge energies, so to speak. And, and I, uh, it feels like it nourishes um, more the more I pay attention to it. Even if it is just a gas station sandwich or burrito or whatever, you know, like being grateful that it it's there, it's whether it's organic or not, you know, every little bit kind of gets that energy flowing. Yeah. We, we brought up blessing food on the last episode, I think it was, no, it was spot cans. It was a few episodes ago. When you give the live long and prosper sign over your food, it's a way to send it good energy and only absorb the good parts for yourself. Has been a way, anyway, according to the, I think it was a Hebrew tradition. So. Well, I like that just acknowledging, you know, energy for energy right there is an exchange there so you are you're acknowledging that as well um whether it's plants or animals for that matter right but bringing it back to the the mastery of awareness right you, you can do that with everything and this this kind of ties into the third segment because we're going to touch on the celestine prophecy and i believe that is one of the one of the first insights. We're not going to do the whole thing. I think we're going to break this up into at least two episodes because there apparently there are 12 insights now. And when the book came out, there was eight or nine, I think, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the mastery of awareness and uh, mastery of intent 
right which is which is the the fun part right the fun mastery like the mastery of transformation is 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 important too and and can can be quite adventurous and fun and it's in and of itself and that's what we use the four agreements for but the mastery of intent is the mastery of love that's the mastery of the god force right god within us and when we use that to bless our, bless our food or water or whatever that may be that's just an expression of of that force coming through and solidifying it into a, this this realm i guess if you want to use those terms but uh yeah i don't really have too many other news stories i want to bring up um without derek here i was hoping oh there was one just kind of a cool thing we've been talking about uh saint george and oh the, the other saint that came saint george was a copy of the saint uh gosh he started with a t anyway if you go into the uh telegram channel i got this from the awakened species channel but they there's a painting behind uh, hidden behind a 16th century painting known as the life of san servo in an italian church the workers found an even older painting of saint george killing the dragon or maybe he's killing the reptile it's up for you to decide but yeah this door or this uh painting giant painting swings back like a door it's on hinges and then behind it is this other painting of saint george killing the uh the dragon so just another little synchronistic thing that popped up oh and then the other thing that uh, i thought was interesting speaking of technology the royal navy says that quantum navigation test it was a success so they have this uh other a, a new a new navigation system on one of their vessels right and uh it does not use gps or satellites to triangulate its position it's got obviously they're not, they're not going to give you details right but whatever test they did with this quantum system was a success so speaking of technology transfers adam i think there's one that uh we're just now getting our hands on it's probably been around for a while Yeah, tech news. I think we'll probably be doing a lot of tech news or strange you know, UFO news. Or There was a uh, a few stories I had pulled up about uh, extinct species coming back or being respotted. Uh, there was this butterfly in the UK. And this is, this is kind of like a, it's an ongoing trend, actually. This is just a few examples of stories that I've noticed over the past, I'll say year, of different species suddenly reappearing, right? So this is probably something we'll keep a tab on, you know, in, in, in future episodes. But uh, aside from that butterfly, there was an extinct animal spotted in California for the second time in a century. And it was a wolverine. It was spotted three times last month in the eastern Sierra Nevada in California. It's a rare it is a rare occurrence for an animal that's only been seen one other time in the U.S. state over the last 100 years, state wildlife official said. So I think that these are 
don't know, time anomalies, really, maybe? Ripples in time somehow, or... or yeah, maybe... I, see, I, I see that as a timeline shift, you know, or evidence of one. Um, I don't... More like, the you know, the frequency of the reality you're experiencing is, is heightened. So, I guess another way to put a timeline shift. But, because... As the animals go extinct, right? Those energies don't go away. They're just, just like death of anything, right? They're just the energies change, and you can't perceive it. So having it come back, right? That seems like a good sign. Yeah, like, and this, like I said before, this is something that is recurring at this time, at this, at this point. So that is certainly one possibility, but I do think that, uh, speaking of expanding, you know, awareness and using our imagination, this could be uh, some kind of communication, like message, right? It could be comms of some sort, or certain people oh, those, in that an area, right? That area, you know. Yeah, those eastern Sierras. I mean, those mountains are uh, pretty deep, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if. There's some energetic portals opening up in there as, as other energies shift into place. And then there's there's also like weird creatures being like discovered. I don't know if you want to call them new species or not, but there's this one MSN article about a fisherman finding a sea creature with the weirdest mouth ever in New York. And it says that the mouth looks like the Sarlacc pit from Star Wars. You guys familiar with that that giant mouth in the desert? You know what I'm talking about, right? Not particularly. No, you don't remember when? Uh, let's see, who was tied up and they were? He was walking the plank. They were making them jump off into the big desert worm. When? when uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of like pit. No, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's some interesting pictures here of a weird, weird animal. I'll drop that in the chat if you guys want to check that out. And let's see. Got the quantum navigation. Oh, yeah. Ancient Carthaginians really did sacrifice their children. Imagine that. Are you guys shocked to learn about that? No, every society unfortunately sacrifices its children. Well, apparently that this this notion has been around for, you know, the Greeks were talking about these people doing it, right? And then just recently, within the past few centuries, maybe I think, link linked it in the in the chat here. There was a uh, the uh, academic world decided that that was a stigma against Carthage, and that these uh, giant graveyards filled of dead children bodies were just graveyards right it was nothing don't look here there's nothing to be concerned about or worried or you know interested in it's just baby graveyards no big deal it's yeah no they, they finally came out and admitted that they were used for sacrificing children and then the uh this is from the university of oxford by the way so I don't know, just the more that we're aware of our history and Yeah, the rules of the game in the happened. in the past, right? Pretty strange. Yeah. 
they did uh, kind of bring up a interesting point in the article saying that the infant mortality rate back in the day allegedly right was high is there an argument for trying to say well maybe it's not such a bad thing because you know people in frontier times right going across west across america or, or you know they'd have these giant families and you know all the little you know seven children right and only two made it right or something like that so getting attached maybe wasn't done as often or early back then but nonetheless i still think that is horrible and i don't i don't really i don't know if i agree with that that narrative their excuse but uh, certainly after decades of scholarship denying that the carthinians did that to their children new research is showing that they, that actually happened so far back i mean to find out the truth I think uh, St. Carthage was a colony of Phoenicia, and that the, maybe that that practice, that particular practice, was kind of looked <laughs> looked down upon, obviously, by the rest of Phoenicia, and that's they got pushed off to the the outskirts, and this is where this practice kind of is a regional thing, right? Not everybody did this; it was just the Carthage Carthaginians. Another explanation, but yeah, we uh, <laughs> the in the spirit of expanding our awareness, we're not we're not approaching the any of these topics out of out of fear. We're just simply exploring them and uh, having a little fun along the way, which brings us to our third segment, and I have a link for that as well, which I will drop in the chat. I don't know. Yeah, I'll probably include this one in the show notes as well. But it's it's just the link to the uh, Celestine Insights. The uh, author has this is this this book has pretty much formed its own little community. It's kind of neat to see. So there's the website and. It lists the 12 Celestine insights. And Celestine means heavenly. It's derived from the, the sky, right? So we're talking about the heavens. So to, to break this up a little bit, I thought maybe we could just do like the first three today. And then we could end on that and let that percolate for, for until next time. Then we can talk about, actually, we have a special guest for next week. And we'll be touching back on the four agreements again to to wrap that up because there is, I believe I mentioned before, a fifth agreement, right? So we're going to bring in a guest and we're going to talk about that. And then we'll get back to the Celestine prophecy stuff. But to kick us off, let's uh, let's go ahead and do the first three insights. And the, the first one is a critical mass. I'm just reading right off the, the website here. So says that a new spiritual awakening is occurring in human culture, an awakening brought about by a critical mass of individuals who experience their lives as a spiritual unfolding, a journey in which we are led forward by mysterious coincidences. So we're talking about synchronicities, right? Noticing synchronicity. And synchronicity is the entry point, according to the website, the measure of whether we're connected spiritually. These 
quote-unquote meaningful coincidences are tiny miracles steering us toward the good life. They are always seeking first to awaken us, and then to allow us to be guided by a spiritual connection to the unfolding of our intended destiny. Staying in a state of alert expectation concerning the major questions of our lives, or the help we need, increases the frequency of synchronistic answers. The secret is remembering, first thing in the morning, to watch for these magical synchronistic moments. So I just thought as we went through these, if uh, there's anything after I read each one, like if you guys wanted to add anything or just general thoughts about that particular insight, uh, Ben, did you have some? Well, just that as you're reading that, it's uh, 18 minutes past the 18th hour where I, I am right now. So that's, you know, the repeating numbers are the easiest of the synchros for the universe to throw at you, right? It's a fun little wink. Right, it is 8.18 here. And the, yeah, the whole synchronicity thing has absolutely been a giant part of my life. If anybody's been uh, following along over the years with 13 questions and me running into Adam and even talking to you, Ben, like we bumped to each other, bumped into each other online, right? And yeah, it's just been one synchronistic journey. So, what do you think, Adam? Would you agree that uh, there seems to be we're reaching a critical mass? Like we were just talking about this kind of with the UAP, the UFO stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I certainly like to think so. You know, when it comes to synchronicities, I think, uh, yeah, when you follow them, um, your life gets interesting. So, yeah, I always consider them to be a, a roadmap. Um, but, I mean, maybe it's me getting older and living longer. And, you know, now that I'm like 40 and I start to look back at like, oh, wow, well, what happened 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago? Well, that was only a thousand years ago. And if I'm 40, then I'm almost half of a hundred. And that's just like 20 generations. And then that's not that much. So yeah, I, I, I do wonder, you know, how drastically different or not different, you know, things are uh, today. It's, it's hard to tell, you know, we, we don't have the ability to be back in one of those other times. So uh, I certainly think it's possible, but uh, maybe history just always repeats itself and it's the same damn story forever. It's going to be the hero's story, right? Hero's journey. Oh, yeah. Well, wouldn't that be great? That was just, what is <laughs> what is the meaning of life? The hero's journey. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's what we're putting out with the, this intention right here is working anyway. But yeah, holy, totally, hundred, yeah. 100% synchronicity. I think that uh, a lot of people in the podcast realm, at least the circles I follow, are pretty familiar with synchronicity and yeah, learning to notice it. Even if you're not, key. open your eyes, pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, intention is a huge part of life and experience. And when it starts to happen, pay attention and keep paying attention. Because once, you know, you get two, three, four, five things in a row. Um, and you start to just calculate the statistics. Yeah, it could be the statistical chance of a lifetime. And then when that happens to you a month later, six months later, a year later, start to realize that, uh, yeah, maybe reality is trying to just 
show you that there's way more than you really think there is. Absolutely. And I like that the website mentions doing it first thing in the morning to remember, like the secret is to remember that these are, it's a thing and to look out for it, right? And to watch out for them. So something good to add to your morning gratitude practice if you're into that type of thing. And this brings us to the second insight, which is the longer now. It says, this awakening represents the creation of a new, more complete worldview, which replaces a 500-year-old preoccupation with secular survival and comfort. While this technological preoccupation was an important step, our awakening to life's coincidences is opening us up to the real purpose of human life on this planet and the real nature of our universe. The world has a spiritual design, quote-unquote. This step in consciousness happens when we look back on the spiritual journey of humanity throughout history. We see that we are in a new phase of human progress. Humanity is now awakening from a materialistic worldview and moving into a new outlook that recognizes spiritual design. This design rewards an attitude of helping others and making the world better. When we adopt this new perspective, our soul's dream of our mission comes to us and we move forward, we move toward this new world perspective. I'm sorry, we move toward this destiny by a near miraculous intuition and synchronistic flow. Thus, we are learning to make our way in the world by finding a spiritual connection and allowing ourselves to be guided. In this way, we're discovering a more detailed understanding of how the world genuinely works. Together with this insight, we could shape another historical era of inspirational life, inspirational life for generations to come. What do you guys think about that one? So I think that this is talking about we're moving away from like an internet of things, right? We can talk about it in that framework because we're talking about materialism. And I think that the scientific community in general has pushed us just as far as we can as we can get with with trying to make us separate from our surroundings instead of being more active and in, in participating in creating our reality right so i would i would completely agree 100 percent with this uh sentiment of the second insight that the world has a has a spiritual design and that we're, you know, making this transition between, you know, moving away from materialism. And we can see this, like I said before, because <clears throat> the Internet of Things, like everything, everything literally is connected to the Internet. We have a smart refrigerator now, right, or whatever. I've seen, I've seen advertisements for a, a smart uh, device you put on your sprinkler, and it attaches to your, there's an app for it on your phone, and then you can have smart sprinkler system on your phone now so yeah so we're we're kind of coming to a head of of the time of when things are being put on the weather air. control from the palm of your hand yeah yeah the magic box so when uh when when things like this come to a head it seems it tends to get more and more opulent like look at i use trains as an example like at the end of the, the transportation period where trains were a big thing, right? People used to get all excited to get on a train. It was 
we had these luxurious train cars and flying same example there like it's just been uh these these, these things get uh, more opulent before they become taken for granted right and the next thing is introduced and i think that this next thing is absolutely spiritual in nature because moving away from the internet of things we have the internet of people now like i think Tes i think tesla i think uh elon musk started his uh human trials for Neuralink. so we're, we're sticking uh, computer chips in people's heads now so we're absolutely moving towards you know the more spiritual side of connectivity it's evolving it's fun i wouldn't put a computer chip in my head because i don't want to be a borg but apparently there are good well, Go ahead. that's where it's interesting right because telepathy is is real and and there are scientific studies to back that up um so is the chip necessary that's a question i would ask I think all technology replaces what can be done naturally. But my favorite example is like the self-driving car. As flawed as they are today, put yourself on a horse that knows where its home is at, get drunk, fall asleep on it, and the horse is going to guide itself back home. You know, like that old technology still works. It's an all-terrain vehicle that runs completely off of nature. Don't need to put gas in it. Just find some plants around, pour some biological material in it, get some water, and that thing is good to go. You know, if it hurts itself, it's self-repairing. You know, same thing with telepathy. Yeah, the communication that we use with cell phones, now that we've got it, you know, you used to remember a phone number, you used to remember directions. You don't remember because you don't have to. So, um, yeah, why do you need psychic ability if I can just contact you anywhere? Meanwhile, if I'm an Aborigine person in the middle of, you know, nowhere, and I need to contact my tribe, and there is no such thing as a phone, and I'm alone in nature. Yeah, I think telepathy becomes a very accessible tool. If your pineal gland isn't all mucked up from fluoride, right? That's right. Yeah, keep your keep your thyroid clean, people. Iodine is good for you. Uh, fluoride, yeah, it's industrial waste. Do with it as you want. Iodine and magnesium. Most people are probably deficient in those two things. So if you're not exploring a supplement to help with absolutely, it, magnesium is the I, easiest. Yeah. Uh, according to my the neurologist that he used to have was who was incredibly top notch. He basically said the first thing he recommends any patient of his do is uh, take magnesium, a chelated magnesium, or like uh, the easiest is just take a mag uh, uh, Epsom salt bath. You know, the worst that's going to happen is you get too much in you and it gives you the runs. Cacao is also a very good source of magnesium, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing for like iodine. You know, you don't necessarily want to be, you know, getting like iodized salt, um, even though, you know, all your salted foods have it without it being listed. Um, you know, it is better than nothing. You know, it did solve a big problem in America, but, you know, you really want iodine from its natural source. So. Of course, this isn't medical advice or anything, not a doctor, but, uh, you know, uh, you can get kelp and seaweed supplements that have high amounts of iodine in them. So, yeah, huge fan of the iodine. I should I should get some. I haven't had some in a few years. I use a nascent iodine through 
Nascent or Niacent? Nascent. Nascent. It's a, it's a manufactured in a certain way. I'll send you a link. Sweet. But with a, uh, back on to the third insight. <laughs> Sidetrack. Magnesium and iodine. But third insight, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up after this. The, uh, is, so the third insight is a matter of energy. Says we now experience that we live not in a material universe, but in a universe of dynamic energy. Everything extant is a field of sacred energy that we can sense and intuit. Moreover, we humans can project our energy by focusing our attention in a desired direction. Where attention goes, energy flows, influencing other energy systems and increasing the pace of coincidences in our lives. So I like this one, and I'm super excited to talk about this because I wanted to ask Ben or, or Adam like if you guys have any uh, um, examples of you experiencing a focused energy or um, focusing your energy and or attention in a desired direction and getting like can you uh, perceive where the energy flows like how does that feel to to you guys? Because I don't well, I'm a yeah, yeah I'm a firm believer in in where you place your energy and focus it that in in that idea of attention is what will be showing up for you um you know as you progress through time and space so I don't a specific example I'd have to think about but thing that this made me think of is reiki like what a lot of people call reiki right moving energy with your hands like i don't yeah. know if you've you've got experience doing that type of work so i do yeah I guess, would this be an accurate description of of that type of practice then um yeah and i think there's even bigger examples of of physical healing you know and like tumors shrinking and things like that that you can look at with that along that same line oh yeah absolutely i mean i mean derek's got this story that he shared on the story before story show before about him i think he broke his ankle or knee i think it was his knee when he was out hiking and he was able just to fix it and get up and go like so definitely like focused intention mm -hmm. and you know not not to say not i mean not to bring up even the, the manifesting aspect of trying to bring something into this world. Like you need focus. Like a sigil is a great tool to focus your attention and bring about, you know, something that you're trying to manifest. You know, so I think that uh, this insight is, is just interesting because it talks about energy and it's not done yet. So, but did you have another? Well, and it, and it kind of ties in with synchronicity too. Right. And, being able to notice and observe um, those those movements in in the energy field, right? Whether you're you know dealing with interacting with nature, or even on the on the tech and digital side, you know, seeing seeing a repeating pattern um, in there and following that to either your goal or its source, right? Whichever way you're going. 
on on the flow so yeah so and by doing that it uh that those occurrences increase in their number right yeah it, i mean the more you the more you're aware of it the more you can observe it i think so it's back to that you know non-local reality the more you observe the more you affect it so and by kind of going <laughs> going back to how i got into the gratitude practice with with the fake it till you make it thing you know whatever whatever that flow you're observing right and the more you interact with it the more it it plays along and plays goes along with your with you and your energetic energetic field um it's yeah kind of a a game of tag at that point you can, so you can kind of tell it what to do yeah in this respect so this also makes me think of remote viewing as well adam is our resident expert in remote viewing because he's got a podcast about remote viewing if you didn't know that listener check out cat in the box look for adam but doesn't it uh, kind of remind you of of that just the whole focusing our attention in a desired direction and gleaning information like that that that's remote viewing right adam yeah, it seems to be a underpinning of reality, you know, whether it's remote viewing, mantras, prayer, um, you know, wishful thinking, uh, you know, uh, Murphy's Law. All these things seem to just revolve around focus and intent. And like I mentioned before, random number generator, generating experiments. And yeah, um, it's an incredible tool. And depending on how you focus that intent, you get different results. Don't hate yourself. Never, never. Well, and it is it is a creation of you know the reality in front of you, and um, using those tools as well. Like I've found drawing and painting, um, with the intention of painting something I would like to have show up in my reality, whether it's a beach scene or something else, you know, um, and then you know, allowing that, allowing the flow to happen and working your way towards that, keeping focused on it. And then there yeah, the muse isn't going to show up unless you put in the work and you sit down and you make the time yeah. for it to happen. And then all of a sudden you're standing on the beach. So that whole thing about your sketchbook and drawing is took on taken on a whole like level of meaning for me ben since you recommended i forget which podcast it was but they were talking about the picatrix and mm -hmm. apparently this is a, a magic book that tells you how to draw pictures which then translate into physical reality and by ex extension and extrapolation if you can because it, it had to do with planetary times if you finished a picture during a certain hour of the day on a certain day and matched it up with with your attention and in uh, the the correct time in which is the most appropriate to express that intention, it it will have a greater effect. So, 
Yeah, yeah. You see this in you see this in magic too, where when you're reading when you're reading off a, uh, um, you know, a piece of uh, writing that not only may you want to just read it, but you want to face the constellation or in a certain direction to to be speaking to a celestial location. Yeah, yeah, because it was comparing it to um, yelling at stones, essentially, is, is another way to talk to these spirits. That is another a, a method that John D. and Edward Kelly kind of are known for. Boulder, Boulder Fields, man. Mm. Boulder Fields. Yeah, yeah. If you go yeah. to especially like uh, Irish lore and a lot of lore about fairies, yeah. and if you go into uh, Missing 411 and the amount of people that go missing every year, uh, uh, strange events and people going missing near and around uh, Boulder Fields, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, I've had very interesting experiences in, in Boulder Fields. Definitely portals to other other places, and the energies access to other energies that aren't normally around. It's pretty fun. Into the Fey realm, probably accounts for some of it. Is is the Fey circles, but then I think there's also well, I don't want to conjecture too much, but this is this is absolutely a topic for another segment, another show, because there I do have a theory that. Uh, it would explain at least some of the missing people, right? But uh, I digress. Um, finishing off what the website has to say about the third insight, it says giving the karmic design is the title of this next little section. And it says we integrate the third insight when we realize the universe is not a dead, uncaring place. It is a energetically connected environment that is spiritually constructed to bring our greatest dreams into fruition. All we have to do is align our lives with the universe's ruling principle, giving. To create this new worldview, we must understand and live in alignment with the universe's karmic design. We begin to fulfill the latest discoveries of quantum physics. As we open up to synchronicity and intuitive guidance, we realize that, in fact, we share minds with one another and the divine. The path to this majestic life lies not in ruling others or taking what we want. It lies in always looking out for the best interests of others, and at the same time striving to perceive something they need in order to manifest their dreams. If we give them this information, it feels synchronistic to them and elevates their, their lives. What's more, I'm sorry, what's more, when we practice improving in this way, it creates an immediate karmic effect in our lives. When we help others, we karmically begin to attract people into our lives who act the same way. They, in turn, help us. These helpers are also being given intuitive suggestions of how they can help us. We experience their aid as exactly what we need at that very moment to extend our destined flow in life. When we adopt this outlook and ask ourselves how we can be of service to another, our minds connect more deeply with the divine mind, and our intuitive capacity thus opens up. As this happens, we receive an intuition suggesting a specific way this person needs information or direct aid. The key is always to seek is always the key is always to seek to be a synchronicity for others by giving them just the right information and help 
they call for and help they call for at the time of our encounter with them. In this way, we begin to experience the transforming reality of being an agent of the divine. Think, what would God do to help if he couldn't come and instead he sent me? The, the wish to help others opens up our divine connection and strengthens our union with higher intelligence. We can also prove this reality to ourselves by noticing, the, by noticing what happens if we decide to pursue the opposite course in life and become not a giver but a taker. The same karmic principle is in effect. If you take, you'll draw people who take from you. If we manipulate others or steal energy for our personal gain, we find that we are being treated the same way ourselves. This is not for punishment. It is to allow us to feel what we are doing to others and to come back into alignment with the way the world is designed to work. By getting into alignment with karmic design and helping, we attract more desirable, life-enhancing connections with others, thereby injecting synchronicity into our lives. Thus, giving to others brings forth the exact divine coincidences needed for our dreams to come true. All we have to do is participate. What do you guys think about that? I'm all in. Yeah, I, I can't see anything wrong with it's well stated, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, as long as you can notice it and take a step toward Yeah, and I like how in the example he gave, it talks about the opposite way, right? We're, we're attracting help and then we're taking. So the giving and the taking, we can either be givers and takers. So it's in, a, in an example and in an illustration of how this law works, right? It's not, it's very impersonal. Like it doesn't care what you put out. It all starts with you. You're going to get back what you put out. So if you're putting out good stuff, you're going to get good stuff back. If you're putting out bad stuff, you get bad stuff back. That's, you know, it works both ways. So I, I just, I appreciate this insight because it's a good, illustration of the you know, impersonal nature of the universe so because it's, it's a good reminder of, of of it not being all sunshine and rainbows all the time like it is what you make it so kind of empowering at least that's what i get out of it anyhow puts the ball back in your court so to speak so that is the the third insight and like i said before we are going to do a quick rehash of the four agreements from don miguel ruiz on our next episode and we'll also be talking about the fifth agreement i believe but i did also want to so then we'll get back to the celestine prophecy stuff afterwards and I'm doing this on purpose because I have a, a, a paint, not a painting, it's a, a print that I found off of Etsy, and it's of the four agreements, and I'm coloring it. I'm in the act of coloring it. So I'm going to finish doing that on a day next week after we talk to our special guest and have this episode in an hour that is appropriate, right? And it's going to be hanging over my computer. So I'm making this into kind of a, a working. and next week is perfect for doing that type very of, cool because it's the solstice right so 
a lot of energy. A lot of energy to be taken advantage of. Speaking of energy and taking advantage of things, a, a free session of scalar energy is available for anybody that wants to sign up on uh, mysticalwares.com. It's a weekly service. It's a group service that Derek offers for free. And the the frequency is chosen by the group. So uh, give your feedback after signing up for one of these and experiencing it. I believe last week was enhancing memory, uh, but it's often um, just general, a lot of gut health frequencies have been uh, have been pretty popular. So um, just go to mysticalwares.com, find the scalar energy page. All you need is uh, to send them your email address, basically. You don't need a photo ID, you don't need a picture, you don't need anything else. He just puts your name or even you know, your moniker if you don't want to give your name right. Just something to connect you to his uh, the Rife frequency machine that he uses. But that is something I don't believe I've been mentioning on the other uh, the other episodes. So I wanted to make sure to give that a, a plug here because not only is the show sponsored by by Mystical Wares, but it is a free it's a free service. Like why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, go check that out. There is a, tons more information on scalar energy and exactly what that is on Derek's website as well. So, um, yeah, it's free. Go do it. I do it. You should do it. No, don't 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 do what I do. I don't like telling people what to do, but I do think that uh, it's a good suggestion, helpful hints along the way, right? So, with that said. Um, be sure to follow us on social media. Come on over to Telegram. Um, I'm kind of active on Instagram. And what's the other one? YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And all the links can be found at chrononautchronicles.com. And until next time, chrononauts, carpe diem.